Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. Mythical morning, everyone. Morning, evening, afternoon, wherever the heck in the world you are. It's Vita Grill Economist coming to you live on this edition of Rogue News. And we have with us one half of the dynamic duo, the one and only Cynthia Chung. She is the better half. I think we're having an echo. I don't know if that's uh, CJ, is that your side or hey, Cynthia? If you have the YouTube on, uh, just uh, hit the mute on YouTube on your end. Is that your side or I don't have YouTube on. I just uh, hit the mute on YouTube. That's weird. On your end. Uh, I found it. I apologize. That was me. <laughs> I apologize. Folks, she's one half of the dynamic duo You can, with, with her husband, Matthew Arrett. Uh, you can find Cynthia over at CanadianPatriot.org, CanadianPatriot.org, as well as the RisingTideFoundation.net. Cynthia is the co-founder of the Rising Tide Foundation and writer. For the infamous Strategic Culture Foundation, you can read her material on her Substack page through a glass darkly. The links are in the description box, and make sure you go there. You subscribe to that Substack. We need brain trust like Cynthia in this dark time to understand and make sense of what is happening. And she's also lectured on the topics of Schiller's aesthetics, Shakespeare's tragedies, Roman history, the Florentine Renaissance, among other subjects. She's a writer for Strategic Culture Foundation, is a classically trained pianist, and has experience in leading choral works and holds a BS in molecular genetics. My goodness, what a mouthful. Cynthia, what's going on? How are you? I'm very well. Thank you for having me on. No problem. Lots of things going on. And, uh, you know, this is the first time that you're on. We, we always have Matthew on. It's always a treat to have him on. And now we get the better half. <laughs> uh, you're 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 setting up, I think, the stage a little too too high. I, I don't oh. I don't want to compete against Matthew. He's a very <laughs> experienced uh, interviewer. <laughs> no worries, Cynthia. There's a lot uh, to discuss, and one of the things that people always try to make sense of is understanding the roots and the roots of how and why these globalists think and the motivations, their train of thought, how they are schooled, how are they brought into this mode of thinking? And most importantly, what are the origins of their motivations, the origins of their worldview that they seem to infect many of the adherents that follow them, Cynthia? Um. <clears throat> yeah, well, as as you saw uh, on my subset page, the Huxley's Ultimate Revolution is the part four to a Huxley series I did for Strategic Culture, um, which started in October, and it um, ended up being a much bigger project than I was originally intending, um, because the story is just absolutely insane, and there's still so much more to be told to the point where Matthew and myself yeah. Matt Eric have decided to write a book on the subject, and uh, you know it, it ties into the Jesuits and 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 a whole bunch of things, which uh, hopefully we'll have a certain amount of time to cover today. Um, but I, I think as most people, I'm, I was mostly aware of just the Brave New World and Ultimate Revolution as like the the most popular thing. Um, and I know I knew that Aldous was the grandson of T.H. Huxley. For those who are not aware of him, he's he was Darwin's bulldog and was very much responsible for uh, propagating Darwinism to the forefront, which really reformed uh, the modern science uh, where 
before, you know, it was very common for scientists to be uh, religious, to believe in um, a creator of the universe, a purpose for the universe and so forth. And I, I go through this in part two and uh, teach Huxley played uh, a prominent role, if not the leading role. And Matt, I think, has talked about this, too. He was also directly with his ex-club responsible for the transition from the old guard to the new guard of the imperial approach uh, that was going to take place globally. So a big part of that, anyone who's read Brave New World, they know that Mustafa Mont talks about, uh, you know, he's, he's going over a, a scientific paper of someone and he's talking to himself saying, um, too bad, you know, there's a lot of good ideas in this paper, but we can't admit purpose in anything. And I think that that really uh, is what science, what governs uh, academia science today is that you can describe things, you can reduce things to their their uh, building blocks, but you can't talk about a higher purpose because at that point, as Mustafa Mohn says in Brave New World, you can't predict what the next, what will come after, right? And if you want a scientific caste system, which is what mm -hmm. the Brave New World is, if you want to control people in their neat little delta, epsilon, beta, alpha, and alpha plus pluses, these people have to be content in those caste systems. But even amongst the alpha and alpha pluses, and like I've met a surprising number of people who actually like the Brave New World, they're intelligent people and they imagine because they don't question the rules of the game, right? Yeah. They basically say, this is what we have. So the best thing you can achieve for yourself is to become an alpha or an alpha plus. And they, they regard themselves as that. That's why like the Berkeley students listening to Aldous Huxley's speech, they're really, you know, snick snickering to themselves because they really do view themselves as a part of that elite. But the, yeah. the reality is is that even those people who are in this alpha alpha plus uh cast they're also not in a position to challenge that structure of the system they're not allowed to introduce purpose they're not allowed to reform anything and so they're still ultimately powerless they can only function within the boundaries that have already been chosen for them and you see that in brave new world with the uh the example of helmholtz watson who was the, I think he owned a newspaper, a uh, very intelligent businessman, but very much understood the higher arts of things. And, uh, you know, he had to be taken out. Um, so Mustafa Mond, as I'm sure most people are aware, was among uh, about 12 controllers of the world. And then there was something beyond that, that Mustafa Mond also um, gives us hints for. And this is like, the a glimpse into the oligarchical system that that Aldous uh, gives us. So I think that a lot of people are familiar with that. And I thought I was just going to do a paper on that. And then I started to, to dig in uh, further and uh, Mont Verita of Ascona, Switzerland uh, came on the radar. And that's when the story gets very nuts. I don't know if you want to say anything in between or if you want me to to just jump right into to that story. Yeah, let's jump right in. Um, so Mont Verita of Ascona, uh, I believe it was set up somewhere around 1907, 1911. And it's tied in with the Theosophical Society of Madame Blavatsky as well. Um, and uh, very uh, shortly after, Theodore Rus, who was at the time the head of the Order, Order of the Templi, Ordo Templi Orientis, he set up the headquarters for this uh, new, he had uh, been given the power to set up a whole bunch of and have control of a lot of Freemasonry elements. Um, and he decided to set up this particular one in um, Basel, Switzerland, and also another one, the Hermetic Brotherhood of Light at um, Ascona in Montverita. And uh, this place is, uh, just became very well known. Uh, it was originally started by Mikhail Bakunin, the international anarchist leader. And um, basically uh, it attracted artists, it attracted uh, occultists, it attracted psychoanalysts to this. So uh, very shortly Otto Gross, who was the, a disciple of Sigmund Freud 
became a leader of this group. And I don't know um, how many people have watched the movie, Dan I believe it's Dangerous Method with uh, Viggo Mortensen, Kira Knightley, and um, I forgot the other guy's name, but it, it's about uh, Freud and Jung in it. And Otto Gross uh, plays a small role in that. And he's the He's the he has a bit of a psychopathic philosophy and it's based off of a, a true story. Um, so Otto Gross was kind of, um, you know, you could see uh, Ascona as being a little bit um, Mad Max ish, I would say, like the kinds of um, philosophies that Otto Gross had were really um, disturbing. And he 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 was responsible for killing two of his patients um, he poisoned, well, he allowed them to poison themselves, but he encouraged their suicide. Um, and his idea was that if you couldn't, if you couldn't help someone, then why not? A, a, if you couldn't cure someone, why not a beautiful death? But mm, the thing, euthanasia. Yeah. Um, and the thing with his philosophy was you should just do whatever you, you want. You should never, you should never restrain anything because that's, it's Western civilization that has taught us to be unnaturally restrained mm -hmm. that has caused all of these uh, psychological issues that we're now seeing in people. Mm. And um, in the movie, uh, you know, he, he's, well, basically, uh, Otto Gross had a lot of drug issues as well. And he had to be admitted into uh, a hospital. And it was Jung, who was his uh, treating physician, psychiatrist. And, uh, how the story goes apparently is that Otto Gross organized Young to get interested in Ascona, and he Otto Gross had been diagnosed with schizophrenia, by the way, by mm -hmm. Young uh, in this admission, which is a theme throughout this paper that you're you're going to see. So Young comes to Ascona, and he's totally sold, and uh, he really adopts uh, a philosophy, uh, his his philosophy around this of uh, the psychology of the unconscious, where he. He starts to really get into dreams at this point. And um, it's also based off of the religion of Ascona, which also mm. has parallels. Because after Theodore Rus, it's Aleister Crowley who takes over. Um, and, you know, the Thelema uh, mandate is, uh, you know, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law, something yeah. like that. Very, very Aleister Crowleyan. Yes. Um, that is completely in line with what Otto Gross was already saying in his, um, you know, psychoanalytic theories. And, you know, they were all there, like all together in a small little town. Um, and, uh, and so this is a, a major, major influence for all of the tentacles that came out afterwards. And the Theosophical Society, they weren't based in that uh, village, but has a, a lot, a lot of overlap. They're like, they're completely... They're completely intertwined. So, um, yeah, Jung develops this, uh, um, you know, sun uh, religion. Uh, and I didn't have a, a, a chance yet. I want to do a detailed study of this. But I just went into part of his book of uh, Psychology of the Unconscious under the, the libido section. Um, uh, I forgot the full title of it. And he said something that was very, I think, telling of, how he's approaching this philosophy is in terms of, you know, is this going to really help people or not? And he, he has this section on Faust, which um, for those who don't know, it's a, it was originally by Christopher Marlowe. It might've been a story before him, but he really made it famous. And uh, it's this alchemist who kind of makes a pact with the devil to have these like magical powers and, and, and incantations and stuff. And so Jung is referring to this and he says um, that uh, with all things, you need to you need to partake in evil. I w I'm sorry, I had the book out for my other interview and I forgot to have it out today, but no, no problem. Um, you have to partake in evil first in order to have creative powers, your creative powers come about and then only then will it turn into the good. And he says very explicitly, like this is a paraphrase, but it's it's that explicit, um, and that you have only through evil will the good come about. And 
what you'll notice is that with the Theosophical Society, Alice Bailey is a, a major name. Um, she's the one who founded the Lucius Trust. Yes, Alice Bailey. Yes. And so is um, um, Madame Blavatsky. Is, 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 is it not like she's in there as well? Yes, yes. Yeah, she's, she's the one who um, maybe was at the beginning... I don't know who exactly comes up with these things because they're they're basically mixing mm. Hindu philosophy and Hindu religion with psychoanalysis stuff and, and all of this other stuff. Um, so they're just like they're just like twisting everything because they also say the Theosophical Society that they're inspired by Plato, which is which is clearly not the case when you actually <laughs> when you actually look at their teachings and 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 what they're practicing and 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 so forth. Um, so Alice. And by the way, uh, just to get people for people to be aware, Russell Wallace, who was a, a, a very close associate to T.H. Huxley, was uh, one of the key people, along with William James, who's also a very no well-known um, psychiatrist uh, or psychologist, who uh, started the foundations for the Theosophical Society. And there's um, there's this other kind of parapsychology research yada yada I, I i have a hard time remembering these names because they're just kind of like generic but mm -hmm. um that that was really the foundations for what started this whole you know the theosophical society mont verita scona weird religion and and all and and alistair crowley and all of this they're all like relatives of each other and it's just interesting that that was started by a close associate of th huxley and then you see Aldous later on is really uh, heavily involved in this because H.G. Wells, who was a, T, uh, a student of T.H. Huxley, became a mentor of Aldous. So that's another strong connection. H.G. Mm. Wells and Bertrand Russell, who also knew Aldous when he was young and throughout his life, were encouraging these avenues as well of um, the mystical occult. So um, Alice Bailey, she had set up the Lucifer Publishing Company, which later on they changed it to Lucius Trust yeah, um, because it was a little bit too controversial. And uh, they're a major player to this day within the United Nations. You can go to the Lucius Trust uh, website and you can see that they're, they're still a major player. And they, they have been a major player since the start. Of the United Nations. I'm not saying the United Nations is all bad, but it definitely has very concerning elements to it. And um, <clears throat> Alice Bailey, actually, is Madame, no, no, yeah, it was Alice Bailey who said that, um, uh, again, we need to bring on the darkness. So Lucifer, in their interpretation of things, is actually a solar angel, one yeah. of the solar angels, and he's good. And if you look at most of the Freemasonry stuff, like the Scottish Rite, Freemasonry and all that, they all say that about Lucifer is actually the good. And yeah, he's actually the good guy. He's like our uh, Prometheus. And they always, uh, you know, separate uh, Lucifer and Satan as two different beings. Yeah. 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 And by the way, they're, they're not honest. Part of it is like a warping of, of philosophy and, 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 and all that. But part of it is just they're being intentionally Delphic because the, the whole point of like this way of thinking is that you have to have your rights of initiation. So yeah. you don't deserve to know the whole truth unless you prove that you can will it, uh, you know, so you have to be a kind of person who is willing to will it. So, I mean, it already, you know, uh, Matt makes the joke of, um, you know, when you have to pass one of these tests, it's like either uh, kill the dog uh, brutally or don't kill the dog brutally, you know, this kind of scenario. And whichever you choose, right? Like, so I decided I'm not going to kill the dog. And they're like, good, you passed the test. Yeah. <laughs> kill the dog. It's like, good, you passed the test. And right. depending on wh which thing you choose, you're guided to which door, you know? Exactly. So they, never, they never tell you, right? So there's a lot of good people who are in these things that are like, no, but I passed the test. Like I did good. And, and they're like, yes, you will, you should hold all of these beautiful platonic ideals and blah, 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 blah. Um, in the meantime, the people who are at the highest levels of this are, are completely satanic. Yeah. They um, not only kill the dog, they've eaten them. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. So Alice Bailey also makes the point that Lucifer is a, a bright star or, or sun in this case, sorry, 
but you can only bring you can only let uh, something shine its brightest when it is um, surrounded by darkness. Sure. So it's our <laughs> job. It's our job to bring about the darkness. <laughs> you know, it's like it's like certain uh, uh, hard right uh, evangelicals who believe it's their it's their job to bring about Armageddon in order to bring forth Christ. <laughs> yeah, it's a very. I don't know. I don't know how they convince themselves of these things, but um, you can see uh, from an from an oligarchical standpoint that um, this this uh, fits in really well and. Also, just a quick note for Otto Gross, he is accredited by some people as the grandfather of the counterculture movement, mm-hmm. um, um, like the first rock and roller lifestyle, because he did go in and out of asylums for the rest of his life. He was supposed to actually start a school. You could say he was going to do the original Esalen Institute, but um, he got messed up way too quickly he was on a downward spiral because ironically his own philosophy of never refusing anything made him completely a a servant right to his desires and he destroyed himself very quickly but he was supposed to start up a school and max weber who as you could say a founding father of the frankfurt school was uh was seriously backing him um, and so you can see that there are ties uh, at this early stage as well with the Frankfurt School. And Otto Gross has uh, quotes where he's very explicit that he it's his uh, it's his raison d'être to uh, destroy Western civilization because they think that this is at the very core of all evil. And what's really interesting is that in a Brave New World, there's a conversation near the end with uh, John Savage where in this case, they're just referring to him as the savage, right, against Mustafa. And uh, the savage asks him, so you don't believe in God, do you? And uh, Mustafa moans like, no, uh, he probably does exist. And the savage is like, then why are you doing all of this? To which uh, Mustafa Mon responds, or no, uh, why are you doing all of this? And, and how are you how are you interpreting his existence? Mm-hmm. And Mustafa Mon is like, well, it's more of an absence than anything. And uh, the savage is like, that's your fault. And Mustafa Mon says, call it the fault of civilization. Mm. And that's again, if you read Huxley's uh, Aldous Huxley's Brave New World Revisited. For any people who doubt what his intentions were for Brave New World, he makes it very clear that, um, you know, we need to depopulate the world uh, and we need to figure out ways of controlling all of this. Um, But it's very much along those lines that uh, science, technology can also not be allowed to progress, like uh, um, just without any kind of limitations, without any kind of boundaries restrictions put on it. And again, this is because if you have unbounded creativity, you cannot control that sort of society. You cannot have a scientific caste system. And they make these excuses for why it's for our our own good, that we cannot be creative, unbounded, like unbounded in creativity um, with a purpose, by the way, a, a moral creativity to actually make life better um, for the next generation and 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 so on. Um, we're told these lies that we actually cannot do that. And if we try to wield the Promethean fire, so to speak, we will burn ourselves and we will destroy the world because we can't actually wield that sort of power, which is right. not true. That's what you say to a slave. Correct. Um, so, only the initiates could have the, the fire. Only the initiates could handle the truth. Exactly. Yeah, by the way, when they always say these things, they're always like excluded from from that uh, that general right. rule. Um, so yeah, for uh, Ascona, D.H. Lawrence is the mentor of uh, Aldous. He's one of the mentors of Aldous. Um, and he also was a Ascona, and that's where the whole philosophy uh, was able to be uh, taught to Aldous largely. But H.G. Wells also plays a, a really big role in this. Um, and the other thing to, to, to keep in mind here, oh, my nose is so itchy, um, is that 
there's always this um, perversion of uh, Hinduism in yeah. the in the Theosophical Society as well. They've really and you know the British are obsessed with India's caste system, so it makes sense that they saw that and they're like, my God, this is great like how do we this around the world how do we initiate this into our own land yes let's propagate this throughout the empire yeah um and uh so i think that's primarily where the interest of the i mean there's other elements to it as well like alistair crowley's sex magic is oh God, yeah. a, a corruption of uh the the hindu philosophy too and and so I mean, yeah, it's really weird how they, they associate because th th they believe in what they're saying. So you always have to keep in mind um, there's like the rule for the masses and then there's the rule for, for the elite. So sure. even when you talk about the occult, there are things that are the mystical. So, for instance, uh, and I'll get onto the D.H. Huxley Aldous thing in a moment. But for instance, uh, Aldous Huxley very much uh, and H.G. Wells too studied religion uh but primarily the mysticism within religion so the mysticism within uh, religion and spiritual uh movements because these were the conduits they um rightfully recognized that you could control a population without that population having very much thought behind why they are reacting um, to what they're reacting to in, in that way. And um, in H.G. Wells's Open Conspiracy, he uh, announces this new religion. And he makes the point, right, that his three, his three uh, books that I have forgotten the names uh, of, um, one of them is, though, something like Science of Life that he co-wrote with Julian Huxley, who, by the way, was is the brother of Aldous Huxley and was the president and vice president of the Eugenics Society and also was one of uh, the first director general of UNESCO. He wrote the mandate and said in the mandate that we should uh, be you know, ready for the unthinkable at some point, which was eugenics. Um, Aldous Huxley, by the way, also clearly laid out his cards. He wrote one year before publishing Brave New World, uh, a, a very horrible um, article in some journal uh, promoting heavy eugenics. And their father, too, uh, was also completely in line with this. Like at the time of T.H. Huxley, eugenics hadn't existed uh, yet, but he was very Malthusian and it was a natural thing that the his son... Um, Leonard and uh, and then his grandchildren, Aldous and Julian, would all become, you know, uh, believers in eugenics. The necessity of uh, eugenics to clean the the the, the pool. Um, actually, that's a so yeah. That's this is a very important theme. Is that H.G. Wells talked about the open religion that it wasn't important for you to believe, or certainly not to understand. But the most important thing was to submit. Mm -hmm. And in this new religion, which he says his three books is, should be the new Bibles. He actually says that. That in this new religion, that is all that you need to know is to submit. Now, obviously, for a thinking person, that's an incredibly offensive statement. But when you start to introduce the mystical and the occult, the thing about this is that the intellect... Um, has no really role to play when yeah. you get into those domains and it's more of like an emotional kind of instinctive reaction to things yeah. um, and so the elite believed that you could get special powers through that through the doors to the secret mysteries through mm -hmm. the mystical and the cult so you could get very powerful with this or you could enslave people with it and uh, you, I, I was mentioning this in another interview that um, Aldous, actually one of his books that is most critically acclaimed is called something like Devils of uh, Loden, L-O-U-D-U-N. Mm -hmm. And if you check out the trailer for the movie that was made in around 1975, good God, I had no idea that Aldous had that in him but it was it's like really overly overly satanic i don't even want to watch the movie i think the trailer 
says enough, but it's, it's again, just exploring this mysticism within uh, religion and how you can get people to completely lose themselves. And um, going back to D.H. Lawrence, and you can stop me if this is like getting really uh, confusing uh, how I'm speaking, but um, D.H. Lawrence, one of the um, uh, very, because people refer to D.H. Lawrence himself as being like Laurentian metaphysics because yeah. he had his own philosophy. And um, so he believed in the mental consciousness and the blood consciousness. And um, this doesn't, you know, contradict anything coming out of Ascona okay. or uh, Crowley or, or anything. And he believed that the uh, blood consciousness was a, a more superior thing. And the blood consciousness was that knowledge is transferred over through blood. And um, you can see how like with a mystical approach, um, it really is. And this is what Aldous talks about a lot too, you know, in his, um, his instruction manual for the, 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 the counterculture movement, um, that, uh, the what are, doors of perception that, um, you can't, you, you have to, shut off the intellect and it's to train the mind to shut off the intellect and that's actually the corrupted teachings again of buddhism and hindu philosophy is also this like if, if you want to achieve a higher state you need to you need to shut the mind and basically just allow certain kind of primitive things within yourself to roam out freely and um part of this philosophy too comes from bakufen um who has these like levels. He's an anthropologist, but he brings mythology a lot into this. And Jung does that too in his Psychology of the Unconscious, where you're studying mythology, which is useful to understand like, you know, certain things about how humans thought and and uh, and so forth. But they they kind of take it almost like they're 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 literal truths. Mm -hmm. And um and so Bakufen is the one who says that the highest state of uh, evolution is the Apollonian sun god worshiping thing. So that's also mixed into a lot of this. Anyway, um, I think I talked enough about Ascona, but I don't know if you wanted to say something else before I talk about Huxley in the United States. No, no, I think you covered a great deal of a, a very necessary background in, under, in order for people to understand the context of the next uh, phase of what you're going to be uh, bringing out uh, for us. And I think we can just go ahead and continue with, out with Huxley and the United States and his actions in forming the thought of many of these globalists that we see today. So uh, Huxley moves to uh, Hollywood with Gerald Hurd, mm -hmm. who's also, they, they both are kind of like the founding fathers for the human potential movement, which I'll, I'll get a little bit into uh, shortly. But another, uh, a big name that Huxley meets when he's uh, in Hollywood is Krishnamurti. So for those who don't know who Krishnamurti is, he, um, Annie Besant uh, is a, a major name in the, the Theosophical Society. She was the president for a certain amount of time and so forth. Um, and she was the one who discovered Krishnamurti while she was in India with uh, her colleague. And they had... They said his aura was just like so bright and all this and they had chosen him they said that he's the next maitreya the yeah. future buddha and yeah. he'll be the world teacher and he will bring like you know um basically enlightenment to all and so this person krishnamurti was sold as having no religion right and um almost like gifted with just wisdom but annie Besant was his tutor throughout his um his childhood uh, up into his adulthood. So I think that that's already quite a biased um, education. And uh, Krishnamurti at a, a certain point when he was in California, he um, he just, he detaches himself from the theos uh, Theosophical Society. Um, and he claims he's no longer the world teacher. And he was really close with Aldous Huxley. Like they hung out all of the time when mm -hmm. Huxley moved to Wrightwood uh, from the uh, Lana Ranch. Uh, Krishnamurti moved with them so that they could always be a few houses down. 
And um, they had set up the Happy Valley School together, Aldous and Krishnamurti, which um, was Annie, Annie Besant now is, is like publicly recognized as the founder of that school. Like, so it's, it's based off of the foundation of the Annie Besant teachings. So it just goes to show that they never, they never uh, revoked their previous thoughts and that Aldous was very much tied into this thinking from the Theosophical Society, from Ascona with, uh, with D.H. Lawrence. Um, and so Another interesting thing is that him and Gerald Hurd were hanging out a lot at the Vedanta Society, which um, the, the, um, it seems like they, 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 were, they were trying to infiltrate them. And uh, the Swami there actually said, you know, that uh, they don't trust Krishnamurti because he skips steps. Um, he's promising false enlightenment. And uh, this is a very important theme for what later on influences the counterculture movement. And Alan Watts, who's this, he's like really big in terms of like a Western Zen uh, Buddhist guru. Um, He actually has in his uh, autobiography, like My Way or something like that, his conversation with the Swami at the uh, Southern California Vedanta Society branch. And uh, the Swami is saying, yeah, like Krishnamurti, he's, he's skipping steps. You know, we don't really uh, agree with this approach. And Alan uh, Watts is basically having a back and forth with the Swami uh, saying, like, you don't need to actually work at all to achieve the the, the Brahmin state. You just People are. are nuts. You just you, are. <laughs> you know, as somebody who's, uh, who's of uh, uh, Southern Indian descent, and I'm and I'm listening to this like the stuff that these idiots are believing is it's it, it's it's incredible. I mean, it, 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 it's they literally are cherry picking an amalgam of various Hindu philosophies, which you know there are thousands of gods, thousands of uh, uh, disc. I mean, the Hindu Vedas never ends; it's ongoing; it's always being added onto, and it's a mishmash of all sorts of philosophies. These guys have literally created the adult equivalent of Dungeons and Dragons for globalists. That's exactly what this whole thing is. These people are morons. And yet they, and, and it, it's, I guess, you know, I've always said this to Matt all the time. These people live in these giant circle jerk, uh, 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 you know, uh, echo chambers. And they literally, these are the philosophies that are feeding each other that a con man like Krishna Murthy can show up and pop up and people will believe him. Like a con man and, 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 the, and his cohort, like Benjamin Krem, walking around, you know, all over the world. This is Matreya. Matreya will be here to save the world. It's insanity. And, and, and this is the one overriding theme among all the elites. They're fabulously stupid. Go ahead, Cynthia. Yeah, well, they, that's the thing is that they ultimately, they have enough discipline in their obsession to attain power, but they don't have enough discipline to attain actual wisdom. Right. And, um, you know, Plato said this really well in his Gorgias dialogue, because, um, you know, Gorgias is, is based on the debate of, like, who is the most free, a tyrant or uh, someone who, who may be subjected to the tyrant's will. And Socrates says something very unpopular amongst the, the sophists that he's surrounded with, because Gorgias was a real man, and so were the other characters. Um, he said, uh, the person who is subjected to the will of the tyrant is still the most free. <laughs> like, of course, they, that upset them, because like, that's like their dream job. And um, he makes the point that if you are that kind of a tyrant where you're very unjust and it's just your will is the law and everybody needs to submit to your will, you will be completely um, consumed by your own desires. And it will be like a vessel with holes in it that you're constantly just wanting to fill, but everything pours out because you can't contain it and you'll always feel unfulfilled and you will always feel unhappy. And um, with these oligarchs, they the thing is, is that they've attained a certain amount of influence and power because they're completely obsessed. Um, and, you know, if you're obsessed with making money, you can probably make a lot of money, you know. But at the same time, once people are able to wake up, because most people are good, most people are not obsessed with just obtaining uh, power so that they can submit their will onto other people. Most people want to live 
in a peaceful, harmonious uh, society. Um, but, you know, these people go unchecked sometimes for, for way too long um, and it becomes a problem. But as soon as something good uh, is able to organize itself, this sort of process, as you said, it's incompetent. It's not actually based on any rules uh, based in, in, in truth, in natural law, not in, in science even, right? So like there's a reason why China and Russia, for instance, are, are increasingly looking like they are so far ahead of the game at this point, uh, not just economically or militarily, but culturally. Correct. Um, we look like not us, but I mean, a lot of our spokespeople in the West sound like talking monkeys. They and, really do. I mean, Cynthia, we're, we are in a, in a society and a culture, okay, where we had the guy who invented Vikram Yoga. <laughs> okay, uh, literally swindle tens of thousands of people all over the United States. Because I, I don't know what it is about these minds. They're so given over to these mystics and these fake gurus, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Well, again, it's like, because you have to be very solid in order to navigate through, um, because it's, it, you know, in, in the Buddhist philosophy and the Hindu philosophy, and also the Chinese uh, philosophy shares in this as well, yeah. um, and the Greek, based in Plato and, and so forth, there is like, there is an order that you, you have to, you go through steps before you can get to higher points of thinking and it's true that at higher points of thinking they all agree upon this that it becomes less about like details or facts or a logical way of thinking which you can say is a dominant part of the intellect um and it becomes more something else which you can say shares in like for instance how a poet communicates an idea like shakespeare how shakespeare can communicate one line and it's it's like your mind does all of these different things that it's not a direct, you know, linear extrapolation from the words that he said to you, but it's something else that happened there. Or, you know, the fact that Shakespeare, you know, Gibbons, he's the authority on Roman history and he wrote, I don't know, something like a thousand pages on Roman history and Shakespeare just wrote Caesar. Well, he wrote a trilogy. He wrote uh, Anthony and, um, and Coriolanus, but the Caesar uh, play is something like 60 pages or so. And he did a better job at right describing the, the Roman history and why Rome collapsed than Gibbons could in 1000 pages. And um, so this is like part of like, what are the higher forms of thinking? But um, anyway, back to Aldous, I'm gonna sk skip a little bit because the Frankfurt School plays a huge part in this and people should just be aware that Aldous did know Theodore Adorno. They were hanging out at the Salka Vitel's uh, salon in Hollywood, which was all for ho Hollywood intelligentsia, European intelligentsia. And um, uh, Aldous quotes Eric Fromm, who's a, a, a very big name in the Frankfurt School as well. And the Frankfurt School basically, you know, uh, besides the critical theory is that it was an attack on classical culture. So, you know, you have Krishnamurti encouraging skipping of steps, and then you have this, where now classical culture is the reason why Western civilization is the most oppressive thing in the world. And so we need to destroy uh, this uh, way of perceiving things, and um, that's largely also what the counterculture came out of. It's like anti-culture. And now it was like, there weren't really rules. And again, it comes back to the Saskona philosophy of like, it's whatever you feel um, that is really now the higher truth, as long as it doesn't seemingly hurt anyone else, but that's all ultimately a bullshit rule. Anyway, but the beautiful then became ugly and the ugly then became beautiful. And that started to become really promoted. And then as we'll see, if we have enough time, insanity became promoted as, as the new sanity. And, um, there's a quote from Adorno that I have in my, my article, uh, part four, where he says that um, we need to change music. And Adorno is a very accomplished uh, pianist. He worked also closely with Schoenberg, the, the atonalist composer. And he says very explicitly that we need to change music so that it, it, it actually induces schizophrenic traits. 
Um, yeah, and that this is like the new uh, like mental health, so to speak. And we're going to see how this fits into the Esalen Institute very clearly uh, later on. So anyway, Frankfurt School, that's a major, major destructive force. Aldous also was uh, talking a lot with William Sargent, who wrote uh, Battle for the Mind. Uh, he's a British uh, psychiatrist, and he was very much at the forefront of this whole, you know, Manchurian candidate studies. Uh, yeah. Because after Pavlov's uh, studies on the dog's, the dog's nervous systems, there was fear that you could just brainwash people and you could say like just a word and then all of a sudden someone would be an assassin and they would carry out, you know, a certain thing, which by the way, there, there, there is a certain amount that you can do with that. But interestingly, what William Sargent found out because he tortured a lot of people in various ways and he talks about it in his book um, uh, as if it's all very, you know, civil, but he said that one thing we realized is that no matter what you did to someone, uh, they could possibly adopt an idea that wasn't their own for a certain amount of time, but it, it would always be temporary. It could never last within that person because there was the matter of free will. And what uh, Sergeant realized was that you had to give the illusion that there was the choice to choose to adopt the idea. And as long as there was that illusion, you could have that. And part of uh, helping with the illusion that you made that choice was to introduce these things in states of increased suggestibility, which you could induce in various ways. Um, and so <clears throat> Aldous Huxley being, you know, the, the, the gentle oligarch he is, he's, he's always claiming that we want to have nicer ways of uh, subjecting people to their, their slavery. And um, him and Sargent are talking about tribal drumming. Yeah. And uh, Sargent quotes Aldous Huxley from his appendix from his Devils of Loden, which also should tell you, you know, what he's researching when he, he did that dark, dark story. Um, he's saying, I would challenge you, if you put all of the smartest intellectuals, thinkers, leaders in the world, influencers into one hot room, and you just had tribal drumming or Indian chanting for long enough, they would be hooting and capering like the rest of the savages. Um, because there's something about these things they're saying that awakes the primitive within us. It unlocks, sure. say, the blood consciousness. Mm -hmm. And so, again, this clearly plays a huge role in the uh, in the counterculture movement, and um, I mean we see that so heavily in modern music, where it's very trance and very enchantment like. Uh, whether it's the beat, whether it's the frequency, whether it's even the lyrics, uh, lyrics and music these days are very shortened. There's hardly any words in it. it. Doesn't even make any sense. They have, for the love of God, they have mumble rap. Oh my God, you know. So it just it just goes to show where we've come but it, again it, it's all about creating that base culture that absolutely debased dehumanized culture that is so hyper suggestive that's really funny mumble rap i never heard of that <laughs> I, I i don't advise you to listen to it you might yeah, it's well, terrible right? because like the rap was in its better uh aspects very political right. and, and it had to be destroyed uh, Poetic, yeah, and, and and now it's like it's not even about the words anymore. Nope. It's just mumbling. Uh, it's just mumbling. It's terrible. I mean, I, I could have CJ play a sample, but it's terrible. I'll, I'll save your ears. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So I mean, it, it's a it's a huge deal. And then you know, his uh, meeting uh, Dr. Humphrey Osmond, um, and you know, at this point, uh, Huxley is like these people are all if not directly tied into Tavistock, CIA, uh, OSS, and M MI6 stuff, they are definitely, you know, working with these people. And um, when he, uh, Huxley takes masculine for the first time and he documents it, it in his uh, book, Doors of Perception, he's having a recorded conversation with uh, Osman and Osman asks him, so do you think you know now where the root of madness lies? And Aldous is like, yes. <laughs> and Osman's like, and, and could you control it? And Aldous was like, no. <laughs> so God. it was like, 
excellent. <laughs> and it's like, and then, so for how my paper goes, and I'm by no means telling the whole story. It's, it's a lot to go through. And there's still a lot that I need to look at. Oh, and by the way, really important point to the book of the dead is a really big thing. With well, the Egyptian Ibis. book of the dead? No, it's the Tibetan book of the dead. Oh, okay. Um, but uh, the translator, the English translator called it because it's a Bardo, Bardo Fodal. Sorry for my pronunciation is the uh, the original name of it. Mm-hmm. And this in English translator called it Book of the Dead off of Egyptian Book of the Dead. And he said Tibetan. But the thing about this English translator that people should know is that he's a theosophist. So the person who, because Aldous was very much promoting this book hard, and he promoted it to Timothy Leary as well, who even wrote about it in uh, one of his books. I forgot uh, which book it was. I have it in my paper, though, where he says that, like, the Book of the Dead is, like, kind of a Bible to them at this point. But it's not even based off of the, the original, it seems, because it seems the English translator took a lot of liberty with it. And another thing people should know about this English translator who seems to have known nothing about Tibetan Buddhism as well, is that he had met T.E. Lawrence, otherwise known as Lawrence of Arabia, when he was in Oxford. And it was Lawrence of Arabia, uh, the British intelligence, you know, agent in the Middle East who organized the Bedouin tribes. It was him who had suggested that this translator go to the Orient. So he was, it's clear that he was put onto this project by British intelligence. Mm-hmm. And people should also be aware that Aleister Crowley is also tied into British intelligence. Um, so like the these intelligence centers, like the CIA as well, they're working with these like satanic um, groupings. It's not, you know, any nothing is separate. Everything is actually quite intertwined, consciously so. It's very disturbing as you look into things more and more. Um, So just quick to say, because I do want to say something about the Esalen Institute, which is uh, really important, but I make the point in part four that uh, the human being, which is uh, the biggest thing that launched the summer of love, and you could say like probably the hippie movement, that at this uh, human being gathering of, uh, you know, the people who would form the counterculture. Yeah, it was like an L- LSD event, right? The big LSD event. Yeah. Um, that one of the things that was uh, was spoken was that this is the first manifestation or something like this of the Brave New World. Huh. So that's very interesting. And then um, one of the American beat poets, I, oh, I forgot her name, um, again, in my paper, she says, um, you know, I, I think that uh, she first of all makes the point that Maitreya, that we don't need to know Maitreya through books and learning, sound familiar, but that, you know, we just need to let Maitreya come to us. And and maybe, you know, uh, I, I believe that Maitreya will not come into one individual form, but that he will come into all of us this time around. And maybe it will even happen today. You know, this is an invocation for Maitreya, may he come or something like that. And it goes to show that these people now all have it in their heads that they've got a like they're Maitreya. Oh, God. <laughs> As they're like taking LSD and like having sex with whatever they can find on, on the ground. And um, and it's just like this is this it's is- worse than Jerusalem syndrome. You know, you heard of Jerusalem syndrome where people, yeah. some religious people that show up, they'll go visit the holy sites in Jerusalem and next thing you know, they think they're Jesus. And they literally are walking around trying to get followers to follow them. It's 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 pretty hilarious. It, it is really interesting. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a, a branch of psychology that if it hasn't been invented, it, it, it definitely needs to explore it you know, how these types of um, increased states with like, this is, I think, part of it, like being increasingly suggestible that you can just have like, you know, the weirdest, wackiest things um, govern you for an extended period of time afterwards. Um, But anyway, so as I was saying, Aldous Huxley and Gerald Hurd, they're the ones who really started the human potential movement. Aldous was giving lectures on this, which was a certain idea of um, 
being in control of your own evolution, self-evolution. And he even says in one of his lectures to his uh, students at a university, again, I have the specifics in my, my paper, that, um, that this is based off of the Brave New World concept. So again, like it's it's always being brought back to, to this. And Aldous didn't invent this, by the way. Like Aldous doesn't have prophetic vision. H.G. Wells didn't have prophetic vision. It was because it was all part of the plan and the, the transition from the old guard to the new guard of imperialism, what was going to be global imperialism, part of this was to play a much longer game of subversion because they had been losing to what was largely coming out of the United States under Henry C. Carey's, uh, you know, economic approach to industrialization, which we we saw it occurring in Russia, we saw it occurring in Japan, and closely after adopted in China with the Sun Yat-sen and many other places in the world, um, that this was going to like completely blow the imperial structures out of the water if they didn't do something very quickly. And so uh, among the strategies that were changed was to have this uh, cultural warfare um, strategy, which anyone who understands, you know, what ultimately shapes the collapse of civilizations in history. It isn't, a lot of people focus on the military, the economic, the political aspects. It's almost always culturally first that society um, degenerates and then everything else follows. The culture is the soul of the people. The culture is the moral compass of the people. If you don't have a good culture, your society is not going to do well. Correct. Um, and that's what the counterculture movement and everything that came out of the Frankfurt School and everything was just annihilating because it's, if you have a culture that tells you that you are a good person, that you're a creative person, and that you can always, you know, do something in such a way that can make a situation better, not worse, um, and that we have a responsibility for that, that is a dangerous thing for an oligarch who wants a scientific caste system. So um, anyway, with Aldous's lectures on the human potential uh, theory, he uh, inspires uh, Dick Price and uh, I forgot the other guy's name. I'm sorry, I'm really bad with names. Um, but these two end up, ended up starting the Esalen Institute within a year of hmm. uh, talking with Aldous and Gerald Hurd closely. and. It is called the human potential, like the first uh, seminar was called the human potential, whatever. It's recognized, Esalen Institute is recognized as officially launching the human potential movement. And one of their seminar, sem seminars was like, uh, you know, uh, invoking magical mysticism or something like that. And they had, yeah, they had a drug induced mysticism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the whole, the whole place was staffed by LSD researchers. How, how wonderful. Oh, and even worse, you know, they had, they they were promoting the works, which I include because uh, the Esalen Institute actually has removed this from their site. But thank God for the Wayback Machine, you can still uh, look at the the types of works that they were promoting at their research center. Uh, and you know, you've got um, Loretta Bender who was working on electroshock therapy with children um, that was uh, linked to. MK Ultra, you know, basically torturing children. You have Bia Skinner, who's really known for the operant uh, conditioning, the Skinner box, where you have a rat in a in a box, and you have uh, it's being delivered electroshocks, and like I'm not sure if they have strobing lights too, and they were just measuring, you know, certain effects. I don't know exactly how they were doing it with a rat to suggest to put suggestibility in, but what they found uh, was that when the rat was outside of that box and and then afterwards after experiencing this for so long when it was outside of the box doing its own thing and it was um there was a, a stressful stimulus its reaction to cope with that stressful stimulus was to go into the very box where it was tortured um, interesting. That's interesting. Yeah, and so they found that there's implications to that with humans and that part of uh, humans coping strategy for people, I would say, you know, that people who are really struggling, they're probably in a post-traumatic state. And many people 
they're not aware of it, but because of what is going on in our society, most people are in a post-traumatic uh, stress state. And, um, and so people will go into the actual, uh, you know, source, you could say, of um, this for their coping mechanism. And I guess you can say it with our habits, right? Like how many people have good habits when they're stressed versus destructive habits when they're right. stressed? And then it's also like the entertainment, what kind of entertainment are you uh, gravitating towards? And I know a lot of people, good people, smart people who don't even have any relation now to like what is happiness, what is morality, what is good, like to, to view it as something that's based in an organized like structure that you can actually like live in that you can you can have a life you know, centered in that people don't believe that it's, it's possible. They don't even really believe it's a reality anymore. And I think that that's largely <clears throat> because of a lot of these techniques, the Skinner box, by the way, plays a very prominent ro role in neuro-linguistic programming NLP, which I also go over very quickly, which the Esalen Institute also uh, is a major, major player. And they had Virginia Satir and Fritz Perls, who are pioneers of NLP. Virginia Satir became a director of the training department at the Esalen Institute. So the thing about the Esalen Institute is that it it was a cent it is a center to um, basically train the alpha, the alpha pluses. Mm -hmm. But these alpha pluses, I don't think a lot of them are aware of it. They think that they've reached the top. They're not at the top. They're still a slave. But they're like, you know, they've got more liberties than any other slave does, right? They have more privilege. And so that's the thing is that in your society, you never want to have anyone that even you, people are going to get rich. People need the motivation to have certain things that they can attain, but you still have to have ways of controlling these people. And so with the Esalen Institute, that's what they uh, very much specialize in, right? So you have the the mystical insanity, the the, in, the encouraging of schizophrenic traits, which I'm going to get into more uh, right after this, for the masses, mm -hmm. then you have it for the alpha, alpha pluses, and then you have the actual controllers, which, you know, that's always hard to answer exactly what that is. But the Esalen Institute is most certainly not for the elite elite. It's for the, uh, the, the, the alpha pluses that all need a controller. And they often have people in their lives who are like their babysitters who like make check, you know, keep a close eye, uh, like Macron, I'm sure is, a is an example of someone like that. So another very important thing for people to know is that the Esalen Institute in one of its, um, first pamphlets, which again, you can only access with the Wayback Machine, but I have the link in my paper. They, uh, talk about how Artie Lang was brought in. Yeah. at the very beginning and Artie Lang is publicly acknowledged with working for the Tavistock Institute for several years I think it was seven years or more and um, Artie Lang is really known as being kind of a crusader for the insane and that it was really you know it started to become popular to, to act like the insane were really the same and sure you know when you have a society that doesn't have proper moral um, governance and it's not, you know, it, it, it's not based in like the good. Um, you can, you can say that you shouldn't be well adapted to that society. Like, I don't think people should be well adapted to today's society, but it's also a bit of a stretch to, to then open up the doors of the asylums and say mm -hmm. the people in the asylums should be ruling the world kind of thing. You know, it's very much like Batman Joker kind of scenario. Um, and so uh, in the pamphlet, they actually say how Artie Lang is working with them on a program to induce schizophrenia. And I have the quote in uh, my paper where they actually tell these people that um, you need to fragment the mind in order to undo all of the bad teachings you've received from bad Western civilization. And you will come out smarter. You will come out with a higher IQ. <laughs> oh, yeah. Pop, pop some LSD and uh, let's go do some NLP. All thanks to CIA-funded research. It's just so yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. So, I mean, anyway, there's, there's, uh, there's so much uh, to talk about with that. But I would say that that's, that's like really a, a prominent thing. And again, to just go back to this um, quote from Mustafa Mond, 
of rejecting purpose. And that's one of, I think, the worst things that we can start addressing today in our society to return to a healthy culture. Because that's why everyone does feel a little bit schizophrenic, or at least like, I think most people don't feel comfortable in their skin most of the time at this point. And um, it's because, you know, it's very difficult with everything blaring and even the people around us maybe not having being themselves victims and subjected to this all the time it's becoming harder and harder to hear your own voice to have like a proper dialogue with something sane and the recognition of where this stems from that basically the better parts of the western culture were attacked and that we need to return to that and one really important point is that uh we need to uh acknowledge that purpose is very important uh, that there is such a thing as truth. There is such a thing as the, the universe being governed in truth. And you, you can actually come to know this if you study the scientists like Leibniz um, that are still like, they were such great uh, thinkers that still what they've been able to accomplish completely affects our world today. Um, and it's good to study these minds because they're very open with their process of thinking and everything of how they came to discover things because me too I was like really struggling for a very long time of having any kind of positive view of the universe I was situated in I didn't think I was bad but I felt like everything was just cold dark meaningless there was no purpose to anything um and you know life was a bit of a torturous ordeal it's mm. pretty dark but um Ultimately, I realized that I had that view because I, I couldn't situate any good in the purpose of the universe, which if you just look at, you know, animals, for instance, I, this might seem weird that I'm going out to this, but I find this very, very interesting. And that YouTube has so many of these examples of like the weirdest combinations of animals playing with each other in the wild. Yeah like a cat and a squirrel becoming friends or a dog and a bird coming friends uh weirdest weirdest stuff but it's endless there's so many of these examples and it just goes to show that you know there's something um there's something good and, and animals also share in that and we're not like you know uh, damaged and everything else is okay. That's an absurd because we were created by the same thing, you know, Correct. all created by the same thing. So if you can see goodness in other things and you probably don't think you're a bad person, hopefully, um, then you, you, we need to just be able to return back to this, uh, this healthier, this healthier center. I think. I agree wholeheartedly. Very well said. Cynthia Chung, thank you for coming on your encore debut here at, at Rogue at Rogue News. I want to thank you for that. And folks, again, you can find Cynthia's work over at her Substack. The links are in the description box and over at CanadianPatriot.org, CanadianPatriot.org, as well as um, um, oh my God, I, I just went blank. The Rising Tide Foundation. I was going to say the Tavistock Foundation. I'm just <laughs> no, no, not the Tavistock Foundation, but the Rising Tide Foundation.net, RisingTideFoundation.net. It is the online um, library of Alexandria. Go there and check it out. And again, Cynthia, thank you so much for joining us. Folks, subscribe, like, comment, and share. Go over to the Substack. Make sure you subscribe to her work. And thank you for all for listening in. CJ, take it away. <laughs>